Welcome to episode 268 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our topic this week, we're going to chat about designing for a world of AI and the broad range of possibilities of different types of intelligence. So I think to give us a little bit of grounding in the various facets of artificial intelligence that we've talked about on the show at length, but are sort of useful to define here. Dirk, can you walk us quickly through the applied AI versus artificial general intelligence? Just give us uh, sort of the foundational definitions. Sure. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked about this a lot on the show. And so for, for some of our listeners, this might be repeating, which which I apologize for, but I think it's it's important that we all sort of understand the the terms that we're talking about. There's generally two or three part structures for thinking about this. I'm going to choose the the three, even though I think the two is a little more in vogue at the moment. So there's uh, weak or narrow AI, and then there is strong AI, and then there's the artificial general intelligence, like John suggested. What we have now, you know, the the thing the media is so excited about is really only weak or narrow AI, which is the simplest. And what weak or narrow AI is, is artificial intelligence related to one specific task. It's one very narrow set of things. So we have, thanks to deep learning, AIs that can do amazing things that are really good if we think, for example, about uh, Facebook. And I think uh, Deep Face is the name of their (laughs) Deep product. Wow. I I think that's right. but now it sounds silly enough that you're making me wonder. Oh, if... don't worry about it. And then, of course, we had um, Noam Brown on the show who who uh, uh, created narrow AI that could defeat, you know, sort of world champion poker players, right? Yeah, and, and, and it is deep face. I, I just checked, um, which, which is <laughs> deep learning with facial recognition. And so it, it is able to identify now in Facebook who our friends are without our having to tag this is my friend. It's able to thanks to being really good at identifying uh, who who people are by their facial structure, learn through you know through a deep learning process. It's it's totally made it automagical as opposed to sort of user input to classify and create relationships around the different images in the software. So in these and many other examples, it's powerful and amazing, and even some might say miraculous. But it's super narrow. If you asked that same, you know, if we asked Gnome to have his software, you know, instead of winning at poker, winning at chess, it would fail. It's good at just the one thing. Um, Then you have the strong AI. And strong AI is AI that can do multiple things. It's not just good at the one. It can be successful in a broader way. And the artificial general intelligence is sort of the superhuman artificial intelligence that's at or above the level of a human capability. And of course, we are able to do many, 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 many different things um, at various levels of ability. But certainly, um, I don't know what the right number would be, thousands or tens of thousands of different and discrete things competently. And, you know, we're not at strong AI yet, and we're not going to be in the years ahead, probably in the decades, but not the years. And artificial general intelligence may or may not ever happen, but it is certainly decades um, to never away 
from happening. Right. And and so the uh, artificial general intelligence, that's the human level AI. And that is the fodder for science fiction, uh, like Ex Machina or the Skynet of Terminator fame, or, or even the, uh, you know, one of my favorites, the, the Matrix, of course, where the computer is able to do everything humans can and more. Um, so, and, and magically, you know, popular culture and media is conflating the artificial intelligence of today, which is weak, deep learning based into these bigger things, which completely confuses everyone and makes it difficult to understand where we actually are in the technical progression of this stuff. Right. And I think that's the genesis. All of that is the genesis for our conversation today, in which, uh, Dirk, you pointed out to me uh, an interesting conversation on The Edge magazine. It was a conversation with Murray Shanahan, who's a professor of cognitive robotics at Imperial College London. Uh, he's also a senior research scientist at DeepMind. And uh, he discusses the space of possible minds, which is from a phrase that uh, this British philosopher Aaron Sloman coined the term. But the idea is that there is this space of all the different possible kinds of intelligence, whether it's biological minds or evolved intelligence, perhaps uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. And then, of course, the topic of our show, which is, you know, artificial intelligence. And there's this whole range of possibilities. And it's uh, much more useful for thinking of this space versus artificial intelligence being a monolithic, you know, thing that is going to become, you know, AGI and put humanity at risk, which is, you know, the problem we you outlined earlier with the media conflating uh, all kinds of intelligence. So what's fascinating about this is if you look at this continuum of different kinds of artificial agents and intelligence, you can start to see some interesting combinations of where human beings and computers work together, right, to augment human intelligence. And I think there's a much higher likelihood of our technology evolving in that direction, us working in concert with AI, various agents and bots, rather than us being immediately sort of superseded by AGI. So um, we were having a little riffing session before the show where we were talking about all of the different ways that humans augment intelligence. And one of the things we're doing now, which is feels exceptionally lazy, but is probably kind of smart, is we don't remember as much information, but we know where to get it, right? So Google is becoming our outboard mind. And Dirk, you had some other examples of just ways that we're augmenting our intelligence even today, sans AI. You know, you mentioned Google as being something that is emerging in that role, but really, I think Google is in that role. I mean, for for me, certainly for at least a decade, when someone asks me some sort of a fact about the world, unless I have a top of mind, I just say Google it. And I'm a little bemused that people aren't Googling it in the first place. So, I mean, th that's kind of already there on the digital side. But to your point... Look, I mean, we've had this, you know, going back, I'm, I'm sure going back to, to the beginning of time, but to at least a much earlier technology of the 14th century, the printing press. I mean, the the dictionary and the encyclopedia are the equivalent to Google from the standpoint of I need an answer to something. Uh, they're slower. They may or may not be 
accessible to you when you need them, but they're, they're filling the same role. And so we have, um, going back to the earliest of technologies, you know, stone tools, which um, I think as we might have talked about in the show, sort of precede humanity. It was a whole other species that, that invented stone tools. But we have augmented our being on the world with tools since the beginning of time. And we've augmented intellectually with tools as soon as those tools became available. So, uh, you know, again, with, with terms like artificial intelligence, people get all carried away and all excited and think about things from sci-fi movies when it's really just an evolutionary step of better tools, of more capable tools to augment us, to stretch our, you know, both our reach and our grasp um, and, and assist us. Yeah, exactly. I think the, um, the continuum of technology that, you know, we're really talking about an evolution in software, right? And further augmentation of our intellectual capabilities rather than, you know, these giant leaps that seem more scary because they sort of pull us out of what we're familiar with into this apocalyptic context, right? And so that sells newspapers or clicks or what have you. Um, AI is smarter software. It's not killer death robots. Elon Musk, shut up already. So, so I like this idea of the continuum of technology and uh, this space of possible minds. And I think it's worth digging in a little deeper. You know, part of what we're aiming for as we're designing AI to help us do a variety of tasks really is, is around this problem solving capacity that we have, whether it's, you know, we, we, we have it applied in, in various forms of, of software or even more sort of general problem solving. And, and I'll uh, elaborate on that a little bit. So when we're using narrow AI to solve problems, we're, we're essentially taking the human out of part of the loop and automating a section of that workflow. So it becomes possible for us to concentrate on sort of higher level things. So, uh, you know, at the GoInvo studio, we're running into a, a lot of scenarios where machine learning is being applied against parts of healthcare IT that are just plain tedious or could, you know, use um, many people in a room working, you know, 40 hours a week doing something, uh, you know, exceptionally boring. Um, and and what these examples of that? like, what are some concrete examples, John, for our listeners? So, uh, for example, the electronic medical record has uh, huge amounts of information that needs to be both input and then uh, sifted through and uh, say build for, right? So you might have an encounter with a doctor and uh, a scribe or a nurse or the doctor might type in all of the details of that encounter and you know eventually that will make its way to your insurance company and surface in a diagnosis and be used as as part of your treatment over time so any of those things could be automated so instead of having the doctor facing away from you and typing into their keyboard and not paying any attention to you there could be a ai driven chatbot that's listening for for that information and um, you know, could be transcribing that automatically and listening for particular terms uh, that would trigger 
you, you know, that information to be input. So the, the, there's any number of areas where this narrow intelligence, this, uh, this space of possible minds can be applied, right? Where could a very specific aspect of, of um, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence be applied uh, to sort of remove some some problem in a workflow and that's really where we're going to see all kinds of innovation stringing a number of those together where a human mind dedicated to a very narrow task you know you can take the human being out of the loop there automate that and now perhaps maybe just maybe the doctor can spend a little more time with the patient i mean which is kind of the the goal there uh having that more empathetic more attention given to the patient there. So, I mean, that would be the goal. Sure, sure. And yeah, I mean, that's that's a good example of the technology sort of today and what's available today. And, you know, going back to, I, you know, you, you were talking about the, the piece from The Edge and specifically the notion of, you know, possible minds. Um, there's, there's a lot of, even though artificial general intelligence is far away, the fact that people are talking about it is leading towards these interesting conversations such as possible minds and what is consciousness. And what I think is interesting about it is that while it gets at questions of artificial intelligence, it gets at questions of machines, it also gets to questions of life. You know, we're in a time where, for example, just today, and this will be broadcast next week, so it won't be totally current anymore, but uh, WeWork, the company that has uh, co-working spaces around the world, 6,000 employees, they announced that they will no longer serve meat and that they will um, they will have, have sort of rules and restrictions around what they'll allow their employees to eat that is, you know, provided or paid for by the company. And that's something that is done uh, explicitly in their release for environmental reasons. But along with, you know, environmental questions about the eating of meat, there are also questions about the morality of eating of meat, of slaughtering another animal um, in order to eat it. And Questions about possible minds and questions about consciousness aren't just going to be things that give us insight around machines. They're also going to set a set of beliefs and lead to an agenda that has to do with all life and in particular biological life, such as animals beyond just the human that will have other impacts socially. So even though the, the conversation around what AI is and how, how it's going to be manifesting has veered into the sort of semi-insane in the popular media, it is leading towards smart people having interesting conversations around questions that go far beyond killer death robots and get into, you know, really how we see our place in the world and how we see the world in general and may accelerate trends such as those to uh, start eating less meat. Yeah, that's an angle that uh, I think is is very valid and perhaps one that is, you know, only starting to come forward and one we should pay uh, some more attention to. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. 
And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 268 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.